Welcome to another episode of Bucks and Six, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast brought to you by Fans First Sports Network. My name is Stephen Dorf, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host Hershey Winkleman. Check us out on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Bucks and Six FFSN. And then you can find this and all of our other podcasts on either Apple or Spotify. So be sure to check that out. Um, we're finally back to you guys after, I guess you could call it a little winter break, holiday break. Um, but Bucks beat the Nets, Hirsch, 144 to 122. And then we're also going to talk about the uh, Cavaliers win where we won 119 to 111 after a you know rough first half, if you want to call it that. But just circling back to this Nets game, Hirsch, um, I know that you know, they didn't really play their starters and then they even pulled like their other two remaining starters after the first quarter. So we were pretty much playing, you know, their rotational and reserves. But what did you see from that first game, Hirsch, this week? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Giannis continued his, you know, MVP level of play as we've seen over the past, you know, two months. I know, you know, a lot of people were a little bit scared because he started off a little iffy to, you know, the first week or so of the season. But since then, he's, he's you know, taken off looked like vintage Giannis, like we've, you know, seen him in the past. And then, you know, another season high for Chris Middleton, 27 points uh, and 10 assists as well. So he, he's been dishing a lot recently. Uh, I believe he also had uh, 11 assists in the Cavs game. So back-to-back games with double-digit assists for, you know, a guy who's considered our secondary playmaker. I think is I think that's that's really good to see. I mean, he's he's facilitating more at this point than Dame is. So I think... I mean, looking at that, that's definitely kind of surprising, Steve. Yeah, I mean, at this point, is it fair to say, like, Chris Middleton is, like, back, back, like, we can call him vintage Chris almost at this point, or is that jumping on the gun a little bit? Because, you know, just a couple months ago, or maybe even a month and a half ago, you know, Chris had that Achilles issue, and then, especially, I I was really worried about it, but he looks to be cruising right now, Hirsch. Yeah, I mean, he had, you know, not a great scoring output, you know, yesterday against the Cavs, but... Just seeing him like be able to like play good offense, whether or not he's actually scoring, like him being able to go out there and get ten plus assists is just absolutely massive for the offense. And him, him just being out there, I think, just as another threat, just provides a different level to this offense that I think is not there when he's out. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think you know we could definitely say that Chris's game might be changing a little bit, but I still think he's just as effective as he has been, Steve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even with Chris, you know, having an off night or even struggling to shoot, uh, he was really good against the Nets. But, you know, in that Cavs game, we talk about this with Dame all the time, Hirsch, where even when Dame's having an off night, he's still effective because, you know, his presence being out there is going to force the defense to challenge him and it's going to leave other guys with more opportunity. So the same deal with Chris. And I mean, I think you really saw that in the Cavaliers game, you know, a game where he didn't shoot well, but was able to create for others. You saw pretty much everyone else on the team play really well. Malik Beasley, obviously Giannis, obviously Dame. So I just think that having a guy like Chris, you know, like you said, be your second or even third, you know, playmaker, third guy out there, it's going to really help this team get over the edge and I mean, we've seen this offense be really, really dominant as of late, and it's just going to continue to be that way. And yeah, you I mean you mentioned the offense and you know finding open shots for shooters. I think that you know that Nets game is a prime example. I mean Beasley had a nice seventeen point outing. Campaign was hitting his shots off the bench. He had eighteen points. So yeah, I mean guys like that that can just come off the bench, like you said, and or even Malik Beasley as a starter and just you know hit knock down those open threes. Uh, I think Beasley also had he had five threes in that Cavs game as well. So I mean we've been we've been talking about Malik Beasley a lot on the pod. I feel like you know he's you know. 
one of the main question marks at this box team, but he, he, he is not quite, he's not a question mark on the offensive end is a way to put it. Uh, he, he definitely is a guy who you can count on to, if he's open, he's going to shoot it and he's most likely going to knock it down. And I think, you know, those guys are really important. I just, again, I mean, we can keep saying it, but I don't like the way that, you know, he's used defensively, but offensively, I think Malik Beasley is really starting to, you know, kind of carve out a role here, Steve. I mean, he's been doing it all season, really. He's been one. He's been our most consistent, you know, just knock down three point shooter all year, shooting in the high 40s for three uh, point percentage on good volume at that. Uh, I mean, he's been that offensively. We know what he is. We've talked about it all year. It's it's he's a great shooter. He's a someone who can, you know, heat up and give you points in bunches. But again, yeah, using him as that ball stopper, whatever you want to call it, putting him in that Drew Holiday role. It's just not it's not what he does. It's not what he's best at. And I mean, hey, it's working right now. I guess we're winning games. Um, you know, we killed the Nets, obviously, but you, you'd expect to beat a team like that by 20 plus, especially when they pull their starters out. Uh, and, you know, they made the adjustments in the second half to beat a team like the Cavs, although they weren't at full strength. They're still a pretty good basketball team. Um, I mean, yeah, I just think that at this point, our our main solution, if we were to make any changes in that starting lineup, Hirsch would be a potential trade. Uh, we've talked about we talked about it on the last episode too. I mean, uh, maybe looking out and getting a guy like Marcus Smart Caruso, just someone like that who's you know known for being a true lockdown defender. But yeah, dude, Malik Beasley, he's been shooting the lights out all year, uh, especially in these two games. He was great for us, and I mean, if we don't go out and get that extra guy, Hirsch, or that you know that true defensive stopper. Do you think that Malik Beasley can work in the starting lineup? Because clearly it's not going to be Andre Jackson. It's not going to be Marjon Bochamp. Um, could it be Jay Crowder maybe? Or do you think that at this point it's just Malik Beasley unless they make a trade? Well, I think, I think yeah, I think at this point, unless they make a trade, AG is like set on Malik Beasley in the starting lineup. Um, maybe that changes down the line, like down the stretch with Jay Crowder uh, possibly being in play for that. But it just seems like pretty solidified to me like watching this team. Even when Beasley was out for those couple of games, he was immediately thrust right back into the starting lineup. It just seems like AG kind of has his heart set on uh, playing Malik Beasley in that starting role. And I think that's fine. I just think you're going to have to, you know, still make a move somewhere else and you can maybe start him, like continue to start him, but, you're gonna need to, you know, still still improve on the defensive on the perimeter defense, regardless of if he's a starter or not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just moving on really quick, I want to talk about just really quick the two man game between Dame and Giannis. We saw it, you know, being used a lot, spammed as you might say, in the uh, down the stretch of uh, yesterday's game against the Cavs. Hirsch, um, we're really starting to see them go to this as something. You know, when they need it down the stretch, uh, I think they went to it like four or five times with like three minutes left in last night's game. So, uh, you know, even if we don't replace Malik Beasley, Hirsch, and, you know, we continue to roll with what we have, this offense might really be that potent, man. I mean, it really might be turning into what we had pictured it to be in the regular season. Again, they're not going to be using the Damon Giannis pick and roll, like them two specifically to the volume that we thought they would. However, when they do use it and when they do go to it at times that matter, like crunch time in a close game against a good Eastern conference team, it works really well. And it allows guys like Damon Giannis to both go for 30 plus points. 
and really just lead us to a win in crunch time, Hirsch. Yeah, and it didn't even really feel like it was that difficult of a you know 30-plus for either of them. I mean, it, it seemed like they combined pretty easily for 65 points. Um, and, you know, when you have that kind of scoring output on offense, like you mentioned, I mean, it's just going to be really tough to beat a team like that. Um, I know you mentioned a little earlier that, you know, we, we had to battle through the adversity. I mean, they, they started out uh, pretty early on with a 15-point lead. We ended up, you know, battling back. We gained a 15-point lead, and then they kind of fought back near the end, brought it close. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a great game. I mean, still with, you know, Mobley and Darius Garland both out for Cleveland, so they're, they're still banged up, and, you know, they've been struggling recently. A lot of people didn't think they would be this bad. Uh, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell still absolutely cooked us, which is, you know, to be expected, considering we can't really guard elite guards anyway. So he had, I mean, he had 34 on us, and then... Jared Allen, Steve, it feel I felt like, you know, he he was kind of hitting everything. I know Brooke did had did have six blocks, but it just felt like he he was just out, he was out working out muscling our front court players on the offensive end. Yeah, Jared Allen just had a night. I mean, he was hitting shots that I don't really ever think he's, you know, gonna hit consistently like that to that extent. I mean, what, he was 15 of 17 that game. That's just not who Jared Allen is. He's, you know, he's a double double machine. He gets you 15 points, 12, 10 rebounds, whatever. But, you know, 30 points on that efficiency isn't like that from him. He played really, really well. I don't really know if you any center was going to stop him last night. I think it was just his night, Hirsch, with how well he played. Yeah, I mean, looking at just those two guys, I mean, that was basically the the entirety of the Cavaliers' offense. Um, and you know, with a team like that, with I mean, you, you'd like to obviously play them when they're when they're like this because they don't have Mobley and Garland. I feel like, you know, a full strength Cavaliers team could give could give the Bucks some problems with both Garland and uh, Mitchell out there. Yeah. And also really quick, uh, I had to do a quick double take on uh, the game yesterday. The Cavaliers have a guy in their rotation, Craig Porter Jr. And I just heard, uh, you know, the commentator go Porter Jr. or whatever. And I was like, whoa, like. Since when did they get Kevin Porter Jr.? Different guy, but Kevin Porter Jr. was a pretty good basketball player before he got kicked out of the league. Um, I, so that just that I thought that was funny, but yeah. So he actually had a pretty good night. That Craig Porter Jr. guy, he was really their only guy that gave them bench production. Um, but yeah, I would say pretty good overall game from the Bucks, especially to you know really come back in the second half. Almost refreshing because. We were so used to at the beginning of the season having to get off to bad starts and then, you know, climb our way back in the second half. Hadn't been like that for the you know last few weeks or so. Uh, great to see us make that comeback, uh, especially off the backs of Giannis and Dame. Giannis really playing like an MVP this year. Her she's having maybe his best season ever and still only third in MVP contention. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but yeah, I mean, I personally, you know, I've always been. So ever since Giannis, you know, emerged as, you know, the, that first MVP, I've always considered him to be the best player in the league. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about voter fatigue a little bit, and I think, you know, that's going to come into play, you know, kind of, kind of going forward. I mean, Joel Embiid is also having, you know, a fantastic season. Might not qualify for games though. He's missed a lot of games. That's a, that is a fair point uh, with the 65 game threshold. You know, so you'll never know. I mean, there's also there's a chance that, you know, any of these guys gets hurt, you know, at, at any at any point, like Shea, who's up there. Yeah, Dark Horse SGA. Yeah. So I, and I know you're a huge Shea guy, but I think, you know, I've always thought that Giannis is going to be like should be the MVP. Uh, even last year, I thought he should be the MVP. And this year, like you mentioned, I mean, he he's 
basically done everything right. So I think, I mean, I think he should be in line to win it this year. I just, I think the voters are going to not do it because it's a voter fatigue. Mm-hmm. And really quick before we head into the break, uh, speaking of voter fatigue, I think that bringing Damon maybe, you know, it brings attention. You know, you get Dame, you get the attention along with it being one of the greatest 75 players to ever play. I think that's also a cool storyline, which kind of helps put off that voter fatigue for Giannis. I think that this, you know, could be his year. He's just got to continue to do what he's been doing. And I have the utmost faith in him doing that. So we're going to take a quick break, talk about our upcoming game against the Pacers on New Year's Day. And then we are also going to talk about the recent trade between the New York Knicks and Toronto Raptors with OG Ananubi and other players. And we're back on the Bucks and Six podcast. I'm Hershey Winkleman. He's Steven Dorf. Uh, we're going to preview the fourth uh, upcoming matchup for the Bucks against the Pacers. Uh, we are one and two in our previous three matchups against them, Steve. They they they've they've proven they give us you know significant problems uh, throughout the season so far and you know we we are going to play them I think I believe either five or six times throughout the season so we're going to have a lot of experience playing against this Pacers team, um, you know Tyrese Halliburton he he he's been unbelievable this year um I think we we know we know that but we did a good job against him in our last win um Steve do you think that's you know going to continue or do you think he's going to explode against us again? Uh, you know, he's probably going to have a really good game against us. Just looking at what every good guard has done against us. He's going to give you 25 plus 10 assists realistically on good shooting as well. Uh, Miles Turner also tends to have pretty good games against us too. We know that Rook doesn't do as well against the centers who can expand their game from beyond the three point line. So he, that little duo might give us a problem, but that's really been their main, you know, bread and butter all year with the Pacers is that Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton two man action. Uh, did we figure them out last game? Maybe I think that this is a team that the Bucks can beat. Again, two very high powered offenses. The Pacers have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Bucks is starting to trend a little bit more towards average, but this is a team that we should beat. Hirsch. This is a team that we can beat and. Uh, you know, if we're going to play like we have been, this is it. Yeah. I mean, we should win this game. Honestly can beat them pretty handedly. I know that uh, might sound a little cocky or whatever, but you know, being that we've struggled with them earlier this year, but it seems like we've really kind of found our groove as of late, Um, you know, especially Giannis and Dame and then Chris as well, that big three. And I don't think, you know, they've really faced the full like capacity of what this big three can do. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think, you know, we should be able to stay hot in this one. I think we're going to need a big game from Dame uh, against, you know, that 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 Pacers defense that has really struggled. And see, I think, you know, there's part of the NBA may have exposed the Pacers over the last, you know, 10 games. They've lost six out of their last 10. Uh, I know they, they've they've won four of them, but and their last two games they've won. But they they have struggled over their last couple or the last like stretch or two of games. So I think, you know, maybe, maybe teams are starting to figure out how to beat this, you know, fast paced Pacers team that really is just, is just great on offense and is just horrible on defense. Like you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I know, you know, really with this team is that they struggle to play in the half court and when their shots aren't going to fall, they aren't going to look good because they don't have like a defensive backbone to lean on out, uh, lean on outside of miles Turner and maybe a guy like Bruce Brown. They don't really have that team defensive culture there quite yet. 
they're a good young team. They're not a team you want to just, you know, check on the box as a W. They're, you know, a playoff team at this point. They're what the sixth seed in the East right now. Um, they're they're a solid team, but at this point, I mean, I think that, you know, we are one of the two, three best teams in the NBA. And I think that this is a team that, you know, like you said, barring their recent struggle or, uh, you know, considering their recent struggles and how hot we've been. I mean, you know, we have that tough loss against the Knicks, but outside of that, it's just been a whole lot of W's, a lot of great three-point shooting nights from us. Good enough defense. So we have Giannis and Dame who can be the best two players on the court at a time. And then, you know, if Chris Middleton plays like he did uh, against the Knicks or sorry, against the the Knicks and then the Nets as well, actually too, we could have the three best players on the court against this team. And I know that's getting a little too excited or whatever, overstating it, but this, this big three that we have right now, the way it's playing is giving me a lot of confidence in this Bucks team. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the, the, the trio of Middleton, Dame and Giannis is truly one of the best big threes in the NBA. Uh, I think Giannis and Dame together is the best duo in the NBA. But, you know, speaking of possible big threes uh, coming into fruition here, massive trade happens today between uh, two big Eastern Conference teams. Uh, I'll just run through the trade real quick. The Raptors received R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second-round pick from Detroit uh, from the Knicks. And the Knicks got OG Ananobi and Precious Achua from the Raptors. Steve, we saw some, you know, some reports that OG Ananobi wanted, you know, a bigger offensive role in the offseason. And he was looking in the ballpark in his next contract of around $40 million. But he did say he would accept a smaller contract if traded to the Knicks. That's, you know, per Jake Fisher, uh, just to give the source, give him credit. But Steve, honestly, let's just start out with, you know, who won this trade in your opinion? I think it's a pretty even trade. I mean, I think both teams got quality pieces. Uh, the Raptors got, you know, RJ Barrett and quickly to young wings, guards, whatever. They can kind of build around with Scotty Barnes. And I've heard that they're kind of looking into maybe trading in Pascal Siakam. So that could kind of be the trio they want to go with for the future. But uh, I actually really do like what the Knicks got out of this. I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, the Knicks gave up too much for OG on an OB, but I think he really fits in perfectly with what they do. He's the exact type of player that you want to pair with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, both offensive minded players. OG Ananobi is like that perfect three and D two way guy that you can kind of slot in at the wing and he's going to knock down shots and he's going to guard the other team's best player. Yeah. I, I, I would tend to tend to go along the lines of that. The Knicks overpaid, but I understand it from their perspective. Like you mentioned, OG Ananobi fits perfectly with their roster. They also didn't really have to give up any first round draft capital, which I know a lot of teams were like looking at when it comes to OG Ananobi. I believe that a team offered the Raptors three first round picks last year for them and they declined it. Now, you know, that they're, they're they're trading him for no draft capital. Um, I believe that the players though are are worth it for the Raptors in that Emmanuel quickly right now is currently, you know, in the sixth man of the year discussion, one of the better young bench guards in the league. He's a, he's, you know, a prolific scorer. And we saw what he did against us in the garden on Christmas. And then, you know, RJ Barrett, Canadian born going back to Toronto, that that's a narrative there. I mean, and then also, you know, he, he's kind of needed, you know, a fresh start, you know, the third overall pick, 
he's been kind of looking at, you know, at he's been looked at as a guy who, you know, is is kind of a bust because he never really panned out. But I, I, I disagree with that. I think he's good. I think he's got the skills. I just think he needs, you know, a new home. And I think that needs a that leads us into one of the other questions, Steve. Where does this trade leave the Raptors? And, you know, like you mentioned, a, a sell-off could possibly be coming with guys like Pascal Siakam and, you know, maybe some of their other vets, like a guy like Gary Trent. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just saw that they're going to be looking into trading Pascal Siakam, so they're going to kind of see what the market is with that. You know, they're going to build around Scotty Barnes. I'm really high on Scotty Barnes. I think he's a really, really good basketball player with tons and tons of potential. Uh I, I really like, you know, getting RJ Barrett, like you mentioned, a guy with a lot of potential as well, needs a quick or a fresh start. And then Emmanuel quickly, a guy you can kind of slot in there. They lost Fred Van Vliet uh, to the Rockets. So maybe looking to replace that scoring point guard role, or whatever you want to call it. Again, I really like this trade for both teams. I just think that with the Raptors, like they're, they're selling right now. They're, they're really just going to be looking for a fresh start. Uh, I think this trade really like the it's going to affect the Knicks more and the now. I think that you know they're really trying to contend uh, with a move like this. Obviously, I think the bigger question is with the Knicks. It's like where where does the uh, where does this put them? Right? Does this put them amongst a team like the Bucks, like the Celtics, like the Sixers, or you know are they, they still you know with the Magic, the Pacers, Cavs, or are they somewhere in that middle ground? I, I just. I think that this trade is really going to be more noticeable with the Knicks right now. And I think down the road, we'll kind of figure out how much this really impacts the Raptors. Well, yeah, Steve, I mean, let's break it down. Like looking at this trade prior to, you know, OG ever, you know, stepping on the court for the Knicks, just on paper, looking at, you know, kind of how this was, how this came to be. Where do you think they're going to finish? I mean, do they, do they vault up the standings until, you know, that top four contention or, do you think they stay more on that five, six, you know, seat around like the Heat, got teams like the like like the Cavs and the and the and the Pacers? I mean, I think there's there's a lot of different ways this could go, but I definitely think that overall OG makes them a lot better. Um, you know, with guys like Brunson and Randall, I'm not sure if OG is necessarily going to get the bigger offensive role that he necessarily wanted. I think he's you know going to take around the same amount of shots, maybe a little bit more. I mean, you might see a a little bit of a bump in stats, Steve, but just team-wise, where do you think the Knicks are going to finish? Uh, yeah, just really quick with OG. I think it's a really good fit for him, though, just because with the Raptors, they were a team full of you know good wings who all were kind of looking to operate in the same area. Scotty Barnes, Pascal, uh, OG, Gary Trent, like you mentioned. So you, you know you have all those guys. I think with the Knicks, maybe his shot volume doesn't quite increase, but he's going to be more free to do what he can do best you know, with that team, he's going to be the true like leader of that, you know, of the wings, I guess, with Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that the Knicks, I do think that the Knicks um, can catapult themselves up to maybe the four seed, uh, potentially fight for a three seed with a team like the Sixers. I don't know. I just think that when you have like that MVP caliber player on your team, like the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks kind of do, I just think it makes all the difference, you know, the regular season, but obviously in the playoffs, but they don't have that. And, you know, they're kind of looking more at, you know, a team like the heat, I'd say, who are the current four seed. Uh, you know, they've got Jimmy Butler, really good player, all NBA caliber player. You know, the Knicks have Randall and Brunson, both all NBA caliber players. 
yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're going to be a four or five seed with this type of trade, a real threat to make it out of the first round and going to give a team some real problems in the second round, just like they did this previous season. Honestly, I don't, again, like, I don't know if it's that significant of a move, like that big of a move where you can be like, yeah, that's going to make them better than, you know, the top tier teams, you know, the upper echelon of the East. So I guess I, that's right. I do think I do think it may be a stepping stone for them though, in that, you know, they still have a lot of their draft capital. They still have, you know, Quinn Grimes and uh, you know, Josh Hart, Mitchell Robinson when he comes back. I mean, they they have another package they could put together to realistically, you know, get another guy if they really wanted to, you know, start building like a really, really dominant team in New York, Steve. So I think you know, having that core of OG, Jalen, and Randall, and then, you know, having a lot of other pieces and draft capital to give away. I mean, I know a lot of people were, you know, talking about possibly Donovan Mitchell, you know, going to the Knicks, as well as jo uh, Joel Embiid. It looks like that Joel Embiid thing is probably out the window now that how well they're playing and, you know, how well he's playing on the Sixers and kind of how that Harden situation all panned out and the emergence of Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. But I'd say Maxey definitely helps. Yeah, he, he's basically the one that kept Joel Embiid in, in Philly if he does resign. So all the Philly fans can thank Tyrese Maxey for becoming an all-star caliber player. But, yeah, I just think overall this this could be a stepping stone trade for the Knicks, just, you know, acquiring a guy who, you know, a lot of a lot of teams wanted. They have, you know, a really good core both offensively and defensively, and they're, and they're in New York, which is, Steve, one of the biggest markets in the NBA. So I think, you know, and it's still the garden too. It's a historic franchise. A lot of, a lot of players want to, you know, play in the garden and I think they could possibly make even another move down the line. I mean, we still have, you know, I think a month or so until the deadline. So. Yeah. And stuff's going to really ramp up. Obviously there's a lot of names that are going to be on the move potentially, especially in the Chicago area with DeRose and Levine, those guys. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully they send that talent to the West. The East is already, we've got enough with the Celtics and the Sixers and, you know, the annoying Pacers and all these other teams. So just get them out of the East. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree The the West needs, you know, a kind of a shake up there. It's pretty interesting on the West. If you look at their uh, standings, but I think that's going to be it for today's episode of the Bucks and six podcast. Uh, make sure to leave a like download, subscribe and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Bucks and six FFSN. I'm Hershey Winkleman, he's Stephen Dorff, and let's go watch.